Hi guys, recently we released a highlight video of our Hebraic inspired wedding. Within our wedding, we had various Hebraic elements that are directly inspired by the Bible. And we were inspired to include them in our wedding because we had the heart of elevating Messiah in it. We realize that many of these elements may have never been seen by yourself. And if you are getting married soon or there's someone in your family who desires to get married soon, we wanted to share these elements with you so you can be inspired to possibly include some of them into your wedding for the exaltation of Yeshua, Jesus himself. For everything we do, and especially our weddings and our marriages, are supposed to lift up his name, exalt him, give him praise and honor, and teach those who attend our weddings more about him. We hope this video blesses you. Paul teaches us that there is a profound mystery attached to the relationship between a husband and his wife. And he connects this mystery with with being a parallel of the relationship that God has with his bride, Israel, or the body of Christ. And so when I met Christina, from the beginning, we desired to have our relationship, our marriage, our wedding, our ceremony, and everything after that, to be that picture, Mm -hmm. to be a picture between Christ and his bride. That is what marriage is supposed to be. That is one of the primary reasons that we are to get married is so we can be a picture to the world of that relationship between Christ and his bride. Marriage is not just about us. It's not just about um, a, a ceremony and having fun. Well, those things are amazing. It is about much more. It is about glorifying his kingdom and our lives. Well, just in the same way, it's not just about our American dream. It's not just about our big house, our car, our family or our life. It's about something more. It's about what all that is supposed to do. And that is to glorify his kingdom. If we don't glorify the kingdom of God of our lives, our marriages, etc., we're wasting our time, right? That's what we're made to do. Why God has created us is to glorify and worship him. And so in our marriage, we try to do that. And in our ceremony, we try to do it, like I mentioned. So brothers and sisters, in this video, me and Christina, my bride, we would just like to explain to you guys some of um, the things we did in our wedding ceremony and the the way we did things. And and a lot of the things that God himself did, um, things that we couldn't even plan that ultimately did this. And I believe that this, they, that it, it, it showed this picture. And we want to show this picture to you guys to share. So as it says in Ephesians 5, 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Messiah and the congregation, Christ and the church. So before we dig into kind of our story, I'd like to just give you the outline of the ancient um, wedding ritual and how, how it was done. And, you know, for example, in the time of Abraham and with Isaac and Rebecca, and there is a ritual that is that they followed, which is the same kind of, if you will, ritual that God himself followed with 
his bride and with Yeshua. So, for example, we see that first offer would happen is that the ketubah or a wedding contract would be um, formulated and then signed by the two parties who are getting married. What we then have is a separation. In other words, the the bride and the bridegroom would go their own ways because and back then the bridegroom had to pay a bride's price for her, which was laid out in the ketubah. And now as they went their own separate ways, what would happen is the bridegroom would go and start preparing his house, start getting everything in order, start making sure everything is ready for when she comes and to to marry to finally consummate the marriage with him so that he can be able to have everything ready to take care of her. And so in this prep time of preparation, the bride, she has no idea of the day or the hour or she has no idea when he is going to come back. She does not know when it's going to be. And but the day that he when everything is ready and he's got his bride's price and everything is good to go, he would then go with the blowing of trumpets. In other words, he would go with there would be friends and family who would come to the wherever the bride is, whether she's doing dishes in her home or whether she's out in the field or wherever she is. They would come and they would be blowing the trumpets. And when she hears the trumpets, she would immediately know that is my bridegroom. That is what is happening. He is coming back and he is here for me. He is here to fulfill the promise that he has made in the beginning of that ketubah, that wedding contract that he will take care of me and fulfill all that he has, he has said he would do. So then when she hears that, then he would come and he would take her and he would marry her. There would be a marriage ceremony, etc. And after that, obviously, the marriage is consummated and they begin their life together. Now, when we look at this, this is the way that it would, it would have been done. But it is also, like I mentioned, the way that Yeshua and God, his father did things. We see, for example, that Yeshua came and he gave us his ketubah, if you will, his marriage covenant contract, his vows, his he, he came to tell us, I desire to bless you. I desire to like to look after you, look after your family, to bless you and etc. And the and then he goes and he says, but then and then is also and I need you to do these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And we see this on Mount Sinai when God comes and he gives his commandments to his people and he says, I want to bless you. Do these things and you will be blessed. If you don't do them, you won't be blessed. You will be cursed instead. So God, he lays out these things and then he now goes and what happens? Israel, they actually fall away, right? We have the whole thing of Israel. They, 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 in between everything, they follow other gods. They go their own way. They build a golden calf. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, you know, they're, they ended up being like the, separated from God because of their whoring, if you will. They're, they're like adulterer, if you will. And, and now this is a massive problem. And God has to make a plan to get Israel back because see, God made a promise to Abraham. God made the promise that he will take care of her. Mm-hmm. Even though she did all these things, he still had the promise that he left even above his own name, that he must fulfill. He must hold on to. And what God ends up doing, as we all know, is he sends Yeshua, Jesus Christ, to come and die for his bride. You see, the bride's price that God saw, the value that God saw for his people was his very own life. 
And that is why he came to actually himself lay his life down and die for her to pay for her with his own life, for her to be free, for her to be empowered, to now actually follow and walk as he did to be able to be a bride that is equally yoked to him. And what does Yeshua, what does Jesus say when he leaves? He says, it is good that I go because I'm sending a Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit will come and equip you, enable you, write the law in your heart so you can walk like I did. But then he also says, I am going to prepare a place for you, right? I, I go to prepare a home in my father's house. And in that house, there are many mansions, right? We read all about that in the scriptures. And that's exactly in parallel with the ancient um, ritual. And then now while he's preparing, the bride herself is also making herself ready and preparing herself for when he comes back one day. And in Revelation and in Matthew and all throughout the scriptures, we read about he, how he will be coming back by the blowing of a trumpet. Mm-hmm. And no one knows the day or the hour, even though we'll know the season, we'll, we won't know the day or the hour. And when that trumpet blows, his bride will know it is my bridegroom and he is coming back for me. And so likewise, this is also connected with our story. When Petey and I met, of course, he lived in South Africa and I live here in Virginia in the United States. And when God brought him here to Virginia, he spoke at a conference here. Of course, he came from far away. We were connected or disconnected rather separated by time and distance. And when he came here, he ended up proposing. So he made that promise that he would come back and that we would get married. And it was kind of funny the way God worked out our story to even to mirror in some way um, the story of Yeshua, that even though Petey was separated, we were separated by that time and distance, he came and he gave a promise that he would come back. And it was even kind of um, funny that even down to the detail that Petey, his flight, left on the first night of Passover. So we kept the Seder with PD, my family. The Lost Supper, if you will. <laughs> we kept that Seder together, but then his flight left at a certain time where we couldn't finish the Seder. So before we could have the final cup, I had to take him down to the airport to leave. And of course, it was heartbreaking to me because I knew I wouldn't see him for months, for a long time. And so, when I did leave him at the airport, you know, he left, said goodbye, and he said he would come back. But then as I drove home and I went home, I got the craziest message. <laughs> you want to share it? Yeah, I mean, what happened is my flight actually got completely delayed. And it was, I wasn't able to board it at all. And it was so delayed that it got completely cancelled mm-hmm. until only being able to leave a few days later. And so for us, that was quite profound because... Yeshua was like she mentioned she left before the final cup at the last supper he and then when he was obviously taken to the cross he was put on the cross his disciples left right in a similar way where you know they were they thought oh no it's over he's going and he's gone and it's and there was a lot of heartache if you will in the same way Christina experienced the same thing you know a lot of heartache and all that but then something happened in that I'm like uh, I, I come back, if you will. I'm, I'm back from the dead, if you will, like Yeshua was. And how he was raised, of course, and appeared to his disciples. And just as Yeshua was raised, I came back, of course. And so 
with that, you know, it was this amazing thing because then the second parting of us, you know, a few days later when my flight actually left was much easier. And I think it was, we experienced, it was great for us because we experienced probably something very similar to what the disciples experienced and that that second goodbye was much easier, most likely than the first, because now that second goodbye came with Yeshua's promise and his comfort and that I am sending the comforter and I am coming back. And yeah, so that was kind of an amazing part for us where that happened. And then, of course, I was separated from Christina for the next about at least six months or so. Um, where we, you know, we were in a different countries on the other side of the world. And we then saw God do something amazing again, where he miraculously opened a door for me to be able to come to the United States for a few days. He provided in many ways. And it just so happened, and this was not planned by us by any means, but it just so happened that the way, the time that I could come was at the feast festival of Sukkot. And so as we know in this through the scriptures, the Feast of Sukkot is also known as the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And that was really on the I think it was like on the day, right, that I was able to come there. Um, And that's really where many believe that is going to be the time and the period when Yeshua will be um, coming back and then ultimately marrying, if you will, his bride and finishing off what he the, or fulfilling the promise that he has left us with the last time when he was here, when he um, when he when he promised us that he will return. And of course, we then got married um, during the Passover season, a little bit before the Passover season um, earlier this year, 2019 in March, which was so exciting because it was the fulfillment of everything that had happened up until now. So just like everything we've just shared and how God just beautifully even showed part of his the story of his son what he's doing with his bride even in our relationship we wanted to carry that further and put that picture and tell that story in our wedding as well and so God really laid that on my heart to tell this story so a few of the key elements that we wanted to include in our wedding was for example when Yeshua gave the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And so we see in this parable the beautiful story of how Yeshua spoke of these virgins who had their lamps prepared and the wise ones who had oil in their lamps awaiting the coming of their bridegroom. So we put this picture, this parable to say, into the wedding ceremony itself, where I even had my sisters and um, Petey's sister. They entered the ceremony holding lanterns to show the beauty of we are also to carry the light of Yeshua within us. We are to have our vessels, just like these lamps, filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit because Yeshua called us to be a light to the world. And this is how we are to be a light. And this is how we are to be ready and prepared for the coming of Messiah, the coming of our bridegroom. And so we put that picture into our wedding just to to show 
the beauty of Yeshua in that way. Yes, exactly. We are to be a light to the world. And, and that oil, you know, what the, the virgins had is it was the, the Holy Spirit. You know, you can have and, and it's a beautiful picture and that you can have, you know, the lamp, you can know how to carry it, you can have it all. But if you of your lamp doesn't have the oil, the power of God that is going to actually ignite and make the light shine and make it shine continually, then your lamp won't be ready and won't be burning. And so it is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and by us continually doing the work, ensuring that our we are cultivating our relationship with God, that our lamp is trimmed, our lamp is, is, is ready for when he comes back. And that while we are waiting for him, we're not just sitting around and, mm. you know, being an, busy being an Instagram model or <laughs> or just doing the things of the world or whatever. But we are actually um, going to be a bride that is going to be a light to the world while we wait. We're going to be a picture to the world of the light that Yeshua himself carried because we look like him and because we're filled with the spirit that he left for us when he left the gift, the comforter. So like we said at the beginning of this video that we really wanted our wedding to be a picture of Messiah and the bridegroom coming back for his bride. That kind of changed the, um, the order of our wedding ceremony. Traditionally, the, the bridegroom is there, he's at the altar, he's waiting, and then the bride comes in and she's beautiful and you know everyone's like, ooh, ah, and it's lovely. But we didn't see that in the biblical narrative of Yeshua coming back for his bride. So yeah, we don't have Yeshua waiting for us to do something or, you know, being the one to wait for us. And it's not just and also in the biblical narrative, it is not just all about us in that way. It's really about us preparing and living and making sure we are ready for the father. So in that way, we had to kind of recreate what the wedding ceremony would look like so we could create that picture and tell that story of Yeshua. Um, returning for his bride. So in that way, um, I think to the surprise of many who were there at the wedding, what happened is that we had those, my sisters and Petey's sister as well, who came in as bridesmaids holding the lanterns that were lit. And then after they came in, I came in with my parents on either side. Petey wasn't there yet. He was still somewhere else. But I came in first with my parents holding my lantern as well. And when I came in, something else happened that we wanted to include as part of the story. The story of the bride, which is bigger than, it was not just about me, it was about the story of the bride of Messiah, of Israel, going back to the very beginning. We go back to Deuteronomy 6, and what do we hear? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, as Yeshua quoted in Mark. And in that way, we began the wedding ceremony after I entered with a dance. And this dance was a dance to this song, Shema. And it was the Shema song in Hebrew and also in English because this is the watchword of our faith. It all goes back to this, the Lord is our God and he is one. And if our focus is on that, then we'll be able to walk like Yeshua because we'll be honoring him. We'll be walking in the commands of his father that he gave us to walk in. And so when we danced this dance, it was beautiful and we wanted to kind of follow the, the story of Israel as they've been walking and following the law of God through the ages and how they've been looking towards their Messiah and awaiting his coming. There was a pause. I was up there alone. 
in front of the audience, but Petey hadn't arrived yet. In that same picture, the bride was waiting, but the bridegroom hadn't come yet. But then we heard the sound of a shofar. And after we heard that sound of the shofar blowing, my brother came in. Like we have in scripture, there was the sound of the trumpet and there was a shout saying the bridegroom is coming. My brother came in announcing the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. he did, Petey entered, and I can just tell you in that moment, it brought me back to not just that Petey, my bridegroom was coming, but that we're the bride and Yeshua is coming. And in that moment, that excitement, that joy, that you don't know what to do, but you're so overwhelmed that our bridegroom, the sound of the shofar, has come. Yes, we read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. Where we read, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so, like Christina mentioned, this is how our Messiah will be coming back, with a blowing of a trumpet and with a shout, and then His appearance will be made known to the entire world, where both where everyone, both those who are, who are his bride and everyone else will know he has arrived. And so similarly, we see in the story of Rebecca, where, where Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find her, a similar pattern where she was at this well, she was busy um, serving, she was busy, and, and this is actually made evident in how when Eliezer, the servant, came, the first thing she wanted to do was to water all his camels, which is like a big job, and she went ahead and served. She was presenting fruits of the Spirit. She was presenting a heart, a servant's heart. She was presenting a heart that was preparing herself from, at that point, preparing herself, not just sitting at home and doing nothing, but continuously auditing herself and ensuring that she is ready for her bridegroom. And then when Eliezer, the servant, came to actually get her to present her to the bridegroom, Isaac, she was ready. And Eliezer can be seen as even like the Holy Spirit, where how the Holy Spirit is is continuously testing us and seeing if we are ready and, and convicting us, etc., to walk in the way. And then for the time that we meet one day, we don't know when exactly, but when we meet our bridegroom, when we meet like Rebecca meets Isaac, we will be ready for it. And so like Christina mentioned with her brother as well, um, when he, his, her brother ran into the room and said, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming after the trumpet was blown. It is reminiscent with Matthew 25, which she also mentioned earlier quickly. Matthew 25 verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And so after I came in, I took her hand and we walked up to the chupa of the of the wedding ceremony. Now a chupa, if you don't know what that is, that is simply a wedding, like a canopy it's that's set up. And that really represents God's covering. So in the first aspect, what I'm doing is I'm really taking my bride and I'm taking her under this wedding canopy, under the covering of God. 
obviously a picture of how God I am bringing her into and, and I'm trusting God to even as the man, I'm not going to carry everything alone. I'm going to trust God to cover our marriage and etc. But then we also see a further, a, a deeper meaning where the, the chuppah or the wedding canopy is also a picture of the sukkah or sukkot. Sukkot is the feast of God where he instructs his people to dwell in temporarily temporary dwelling places. In other words, something like a tent or so on. And this is for us to remember how God, when he took Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, how they dwelt in temporarily temporary dwelling places in the wilderness. And he was their covering. He was their protection through it all. They walked and their sandals never wore out. They always had water. They always had bread. They always had food. They were well, they were nourished. They were looked after, even though they had nothing else like the, all of the, the great things that they had in Egypt, all the food, etc. God was their provision. In the same way, we're really proclaiming in our marriage that God will be our provision. God will look after us. And even as the man, that is an important proclamation to make. Since men, we love to want to provide everything all the time. And so, and furthermore, on a third, even deeper level, we see how this is also Yeshua's, this feast of Sukkot also points to Yeshua's um, marriage, wedding supper of the Lamb, really. So, in other words, when Yeshua comes back with the blowing of trumpets and a loud shout, etc., and he comes and he comes to gather the elect to him, and we are all going to have that wedding ceremony, if you will, that great feast where everything is done and over with. He will wipe away every tear. He will do all these things that we read in Revelation. All things will be made new, etc. And this is also Sukkot is also the last feast on God's calendar of festivals. And it's really the end where it's the new, but it's not the end of everything. It's the beginning of something new where now that's what a marriage is, right? It is the end of one season of one's life and then the beginning of something new. And so that is what we enter then with our marriage. And that is what the chupa or the sukkah represents. So after PD had taken my hands and we had gone upstage and under the chupa, then we wanted to incorporate other elements that we saw in the scripture that pointed to Yeshua and that would be beautiful but also powerful um, symbols in that way. And these two, these elements that we wanted to include were the salt covenant, that being the first one, and also um, the wine and the bread, and that covenant as well. So the first of these elements that we included when we were under the chuppah was the salt covenant. Leviticus 2, 13. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And likewise, Numbers 18, verse 19. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and your offspring with you. So the salt covenant was an ancient 
covenant. It was something that God actually himself instructed his people to do when they're making offerings. He specifically said that whenever you make an offering, ensure that it is covered in salt mm. because a salt covenant is a it was an ancient um, ritual, if you will, that just meant that this was perpetual. This was forever. This is this is not just a little um, pinky promise, if you will, but this is actually a covenant of salt. So when we make a covenant of salt, it is it means it's not just something we say with our mouth, but it's something that we do and we exercise with our whole being. So like we ought to serve God. Yeshua said, for example, that you are not to be as salt that loses its flavor. In other words, he's saying there, don't make a salt covenant with God. Don't tell God, I'm going to follow you. I'm giving you my life. I'm doing all these things, but yet lose your flavor. In, in, in other words, go and start not actually holding up your end of the covenant, not holding because when you don't hold up your end of the covenant, you will not walk like he did and you will not be the light to the world you ought to be. You will not taste different. You won't taste like when people taste of you and see you, they won't be like, well, I need what you have because it's so different because salt gives um, gives flavor. Right. But if we lose our flavor, if we don't hold up our end of the deal, if we right. don't hold up, um, if our flavor go out, if you become will. like the world, right, you become just as mundane and as boring as the world. It's boring. <laughs> then, then that's what Yeshua was saying. He says, then you'll be like salt that loses its flavor. And it's worth only to be trodden underfoot. You know, it's interesting also in the salt covenant. It goes back to the it's a Middle Eastern in the Middle Eastern culture. They would often, when you established a friendship or a covenant with someone, you would share salt. Salt was so important that if you shared salt with someone, you were now tied together as like a brother with that person. You could never go against that person. It was an unbreakable covenant. And even like Paul later mentions how if you have a brother that is at odds and is not walking in the truth and has been corrected, but is choosing to walk in opposition to the word of God and in opposition to Yeshua, you're not even to eat with them. Because that is like making a covenant with them. So you're not even to eat with them who is in complete and utter rebellion to the word of God and is not walking as they should. And so, of course, in the salt covenant, how we incorporated it into our wedding uh, was Petey had a glass full of salt. I had a glass full of salt. And then we had an empty um, glass jar between. He picked up his side. I picked up my side. And together we poured it in um, to fill that one jar. Because... Just like the salt is poured in, you cannot separate his salt from my salt has been mixed. And of course, we have also established that salt covenant before God under the chuppah, that it is unbreakable. Another example of the making of covenants in the scriptures that we incorporate into our wedding was, of course, the occurrence at the Last Supper with Yeshua uh, with the, the bread and the wine. Where the wine that was drunk represented his blood and the, the bread represented his body that were, was going to be broken for us. And so in a similar way, under the covering that we the chupa that we were under, we ourselves, we shared in that. We had, in essence, if you will, communion where we partook of him in the, the with the breaking of his body and also the drinking of the wine, his blood. And with that, we also shared it. And that's also we this is an incorporation of the covenant that Yeshua made with us. We are also just reinforcing that and also in our marriage saying that a similar way we're making a covenant 
that is as unbreakable as the covenant that God has made with us. But also we will uphold the covenant God has made with his bride on a larger scale and we will serve him as servants of him. Then after we shared these covenantal elements, I did something in the ceremony that is very unique, but you often will see in many Jewish weddings. But we saw even a deeper symbolism than is often spoken of. And this, what we did, this element that we added to our wedding ceremony was when I walked around PD seven times. Why seven times? Go back to Genesis. What happened on the seventh day? The number seven, and on that seventh day, that day was a day of holiness. It was set apart. It was a day of completion. A time, a period in time that was set apart by God, and on that day he rested, and he called us to rest as well. So I walked around him seven times because that symbolized that completion. Another example of the seven times that we see in scripture is when God commanded Israel to walk around Jericho. How many times? But seven times. It wasn't on the sixth time that the walls fell down, but it was on that seventh time, that time of completion, holiness set apart, that God had said, walk around seven times, and the walls came down. So Israel, they were commanded to walk around their entire army led by the worshipers, led by those carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And that is also my calling as PD's wife. And as women, we are called to not just be passive in our, in our marriage, where we do our own thing and no, we are to be active warriors, even as Israel was walking around Jericho and worshipers, even as Israel was, as they went around Jericho to surround our husband, to protect and to give that, that protection as a warrior by his side, protecting his back, his front, his both sides, that we are always there and not on doing our own thing, not frivolously wasting our time, but we are by his side. Yes, in Genesis 2 verse 18, we actually see when God gives the role of the woman, when he says to Adam, I am going to give you a wife as a helper to you or a helpmeet. That word for helper, in English it's helper, but there's a much deeper, actually what the word means, it's azar and actually means that is to protect or one to surround. So in other words, it's God is saying, Adam, I'm going to give you someone who's going to surround you, who's going to protect you, like a protective surrounding is going to be that to you, who's going to look, look at your back when you can't, the places you can't see, or even the places you can see it from the front. I'm going to give you someone like that. It's not just a helper. It's someone that is actually going to be doing much more than that. To be a, like Christina mentioned, a spiritual warrior, um, a protector, like almost, almost, you can almost think of it like a bodyguard. And so that word is at Ezer Connecto in the completion. That is what the, the fullness of that word really means. And that is why Christina walked around me seven times. It is a picture of the, her role as a wife to not just be, you know, there to have babies or be in the kitchen or, you know, some a weakened role like that, but rather to to communicate that she has a role that is important, a role that is essential even for the calling that God has specifically given my life as a man. Yes, because in that way, it is that symbol showing that PD and I, as husband and wife, We'll fight spiritual battles together. We will both be warriors. I won't be the damsel in distress. I will be the spiritual warrior by his side and guarding his back. 
and his side and his front and just like he will be there for me as protector and provider but we wanted to show this picture even in our wedding ceremony that when we honor and we're under the covering of our heavenly father that is when i can fulfill this role and that is when p can fulfill his role as well as husband to to guard and to love and to protect and that is when i can walk by his side also both of us wearing the armor of God that Paul talks about to be equipped in that. And so women, I just want to encourage you and men also that God has given us a calling, a beautiful calling. Don't ever let anyone tell you anything different. That women, you have no place and you are, or you are lesser in any way. God created you beautiful but with a very powerful calling. And God said it is not good for man to be alone. God created both men and women with powerful callings to impact the world for his kingdom. And so as I mentioned a little earlier in this teaching, we see how God came to his people on Mount Sinai to give his vows or the terms of his covenant, where he told his people, Israel, Israel, I will bless you if you obey the terms of this covenant. And in a similar way, that was our ketubah. We had it there and we have both. We both signed it there, basically proclaiming to everyone there as a witness, as well as to each other, as well as to God, that we will take care of each other. We will love, etc. And we are going to uphold the terms of our eternal covenant, just like the covenant that God made with his people, with his bride, that his bride is to sign as well, if you will sign on the dotted line that she will say, I do and do the things that she agrees to do. And so brothers and sisters, in that moment, we sealed our covenant before each other, before God and before everyone who was with us. And that was it, right? That was the um, ending of our ceremony. We hope that this outline has blessed you. We just wanted to share this to inspire anyone who maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you have a son or daughter who is going to get married or children, etc. Um, we hope that this encourages you to even in a marriage ceremony, look at and ask the question, Lord, how can we best glorify you? How can we best show the audience, the people there who are looking as well as each other, our love for each other, but a love that has been provided by the Father and a love that is supposed to be a picture of the Father's love, Yeshua's love, Jesus' love for His people. We hope that this video has blessed you. If it has, please consider becoming a partner of this ministry to aid us in continuing making these videos. Also, a special shout out and thank you to our existing partners who have made this video possible. May God bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you, lift up his counsel upon you, give you strength and shalom. And we'll see you guys in the next video. Blessings and shalom. Next. Ta-da! Yeah. Okay. Don't you dare keep that in. What? What part? The ta-da part? Yeah, you can hit that. Do it again? No, bye. Thank you.